Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends, to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti, and today I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Charlene Giselle. She is a distinguished keynote speaker and recognized expert in burnout prevention. Celebrated for her captivating presentations at top law firms and financial institutions all around the world. She's a master NLP coach. She focuses on enhancing wellness, resilience, and performance at the same time. Her actionable strategies for maintaining high performance have made her a sought-after burnout advisor. And her profound insights on biohacking, high performance, and burnout prevention featured her in various publications and podcasts. And today, she shares her time, wisdom, and space with us. Shalene, welcome to the show. Mario, thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Wonderful. So when I read your story and I looked up your you on your website and you know, the one thing that stood out was that you were once a lawyer and you decided to become a coach. Why? Oh, well, I decided to become the coach that I wish I had. If I look back at the way that I handled my career in law, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little girl. That's not very original. You know, some girls want to be princesses. I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> so that's, that's me. And I was inspired by my father who was very successful and he was very much a type A personality. And I remember seeing him <clears throat> showcasing all his work and going into the office and the paperwork and the clients. And actually that environment became my favorite environment. I remember following him around to the office when I was just maybe five or six years old and thinking, that's what I want. I want to be successful. So the dream was set on early and I very much followed my father's footsteps and became a litigator at a leading American law firm. And Mario, you know, I would love to tell you a story that I hated it and I resented it and I wanted out, but it's not the truth. I absolutely loved it. I loved it even more than I anticipated that would. And I even loved the things that you would not anticipate to love. So I loved the fact that I was working really hard. I loved the adrenaline. I loved the cortisol. I loved the fact that it was super intense. I loved the pressure. I was actually really thriving in that environment. But what I didn't realize, and it didn't happen overnight, it happened over many, many years, is that I was neglecting everything else. So it was work, work, work everything else back burner. My relationships, I was married at the time and that didn't go very well. My, my friendship circles, my community, my health, my mental well-being, my physical health. I was really quite active before I started work. And then I was going into the trap of the sedentary hours and hours and hours of not working. I uh, was diagnosed with chronic insomnia, really struggling with my back being in excruciating back pain. 
But I ignored all of that. And I just kept on pushing harder and harder because I loved what I did. Up until the point on a Monday morning after many more years of working at that pace where my father had a burnout induced heart attack on his way to work on a Monday morning. And that completely shifted my paradigm. I thought it was my mirror image. You know, it was who I was becoming. And in this moment of life or death, you just really have to actually ask yourself, is this sustainable? Is this what I want? Notwithstanding the fact that my heart was broken because my father was my inspiration, I also thought about what does it mean for me and what does it mean for everyone else that has inspired me? Because besides my own well-being, I was also seeing that a lot of the partners and associates that I really admired in my legal environment were struggling, not openly, but struggling with divorces, struggling with mental illness, struggling with physical illness. Um, and I thought this got to change. So I made it my mission to be an ambassador for high performance and wellness all at once. Wow, that's quite the story. And <laughs> I want to dive in to something you said, which I often hear so many people, and I used to say this myself, you said that you were pushing so hard and you were denying relationships and your own well-being because you loved what you did so much. And I'm wondering, is it really love that drove you to those places where you would deny your own well-being and your relationships? Or was it also something else? Oh, of course it's something else. There is, a, there is status. There is ego. There is pride. There is also the sense of legacy. You know, my parents had invested and and believed in my success and sent me to top universities. So there is yeah. a sense of legacy, definitely in my in my family that was very very present of wanting to make your family proud. Not that I felt necessarily pressures from them, but their subconscious pressures, of course, because there is a level of expectation right. that you will shine and be successful and that's one one major one but also the second one it might sound very cliche but the lack of knowing better what i mean by that is yeah you know i i went to top law schools and i can promise that i never once were sat down at a class on self-care for top performers hmm. I don't know where that class is, but I can assure you it wasn't part of my curriculum. And now mm. that's what I teach when I work with uh, unis, when I work with law school, business schools, because that's the class that really is missing in, in, my, in my opinion. Yes, you want to learn law. Yes, you want to get an MBA. Yes, you want to get your business degree, but you want to get a notion of self-care. And it may actually reflect more on my shortcomings than the university's shortcomings. but the truth is, I didn't know how to take care of myself. How would you if you're not taught that? I was actually taught work, work, work. Don't sleep. <laughs> Who needs sleep? Mm. And there is, of course, that element of competition when you attend top leading university where all students work really, really hard and, and sleep or not sleep in the library and, and 
you know, go on with three hours to do their exam, to cram in as much work. So the culture that is fostered, that is nurtured is work, perform, and rest, recovery, not so much. So I thought I was on the right track. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. You and I, we have a lot in common because I have experienced, and I've told this story many times on the podcast, I'm not going to go into it in detail, but I burned out in my pilot career in Germany at Lufthansa. And I kept on pushing myself into the ground so much. And I told myself that this is because, you know, I'm so passionate about this. I want to become this person. And when you say that the underlying other underlying drivers were the sense of, I want to make my parents proud. And my parents, just like your parents, from what I hear, they never came to me and said, you have to do this. If you don't do this, we're not proud of you. Not at all. I had this underlying sense of like, I feel so grateful for what they gave me, the life that they enabled me to have, which is they never had that life. I'm going to make them proud. I'm going to give back to them. And so that created this unhealthy drive that made me live in this world, just like you said, where it's like, just do, 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 perform, perform, perform. Don't think about the other side of the medal. Don't think about the being. Don't think about self-care, resting, because those are qualities that are looked at as sort of a weakness or as a luxury almost. Like, you know, once you've achieved all your goals, you got all the medals, you know, you got the millions, then you can start resting a little bit more, but only then. Before you get there, it's all about sacrifice, hustle, grind. So I think we have a lot in common and I would love to know you work specifically with lawyers and in a, in a rather corporate environment, from what I understand. What is it that you see there? What is it that you see there when it comes to performance and burnout? What stands out for you? What really stands out for me is that the, the circle within which I operate, is, I would want to say, you know, the, the top few percent of the population in terms of intellectual rigor, success, ability to perform and extraordinary minds I, i'm i'm blessed with a clientele that is just extraordinarily intelligent right there is no question yeah. about that yet there is this almost unbelievable gap between intelligence and ability to perform and resistance to small but consistent self-care routine I have clients mm. that actually neglect even the most essential parts of their life. You know, I'll tell you a story uh, that actually is a story from one of my clients, but a story of something that I did as well for many years is not drinking water during working hours because you know that you will have to use the toilet. <laughs> And those wow. minutes will not be minutes that will be billed. So effectively, you go into that mindset where you calculate the amount of time it takes you to get out of your desk mm -hmm. into the toilet and back. That's a good six minutes, maybe eight. And six minutes is a billing increment. So you've got to make a choice, right? What are you going to do? Are you going to go to the toilet or are you going to keep billing more? Right? So... When you get into that mindset, you know something has gone 
I don't want to use the word wrong because you can't say wrong. It's just you're in this tunnel vision where you just see the productivity, but actually it's an illusion because the truth is when you neglect hydration, when you neglect sleep, like I have, you know, being an actually clinically diagnosed insomniac, let's be honest here. You're not going to do your best work the next day. You might think you are. But you're not. Like no one in the history of humankind has ever come up with a genius solution with no sleep. <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a bold statement, but I'm pretty confident that that must be true. That there, there is a minimum amount of rest that your brain needs, that your body needs to operate optimally. And I think we we don't know better why. Not because it's wrong, but because we are creatures that mimic. And we look up our peers. And in the circles where operate peers, the most successful partners, the most successful leaders, the most successful C-suite executives, they don't take lunch breaks. They eat a sandwich over their laptop. They don't go for a run before they work. Of course, I'm making a wild generation. Some do, especially the ones that I work with. (laughs) But... You know, if I, if if we were to make a generalization, most often than not, they don't put self care first. It's performance first, and the problem with that strategy is that there is a point. It may be in a year, it may be in ten, it may be in twenty, where performance and productivity starts to decline, because you, it, it's a, it's an ROI, right? It is actually your wisest investment. It's your bucks in the bank. If you don't take care of your body, your brain, you're leaving money on the table. It's just as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you say is the cost? You know, you talk about in a year, 10 years, 20 years, but is there a cost that's immediately visible when people are prioritizing performance over everything else in their life? Yes, yes, there are there are aspects that start to deteriorate. So, would it be helpful if maybe we went into each of them, just Please. to take the picture? Well, the first one that tends to go is what I call the social uh, relationship cycles, and that can be with an increase of frustration, uh, isolation, conflict. So, either vis-a-vis your colleagues or you're actually going to get much closer to your colleagues. That's what I did. It was like my bubble. It was, you know, the people that I love and they get me, mm. right? So that's what happened to me. I don't really can't remember conflicts at work, but I remember conflicts at home because people that loved me for, you know, my home life and personality were starting to wonder why I wasn't doing the things I used to love to do, why I was never Mm. home, why I was always absent, why I wasn't present when they were talking. So if you're noticing conflicts either inside work because you have short temper or you're frustrated or outside work because people that love you are worried about you, but you think they don't understand it, that that used to be my favorite sentence, oh, you don't get it. You, you, You don't get it then that's that's a bit of a red flag. The second one would be when your behaviors slide. What I mean by that is, you know, let's take uh, a top performer that once upon a time slept well, ate reasonably well, nourished themselves, used to love going to the cinema or the theater on the Saturday night, right? 
And then suddenly that same person is eating crap, getting delivery, um, suffering from lack of sleep or sleeping in until 12 o'clock on a Saturday because they're so exhausted. And when Saturday night comes, they don't want to go to the theater. They just want to crash on their TV, get drunk and get takeout, right? So again, like the person is changing. The behaviors are shifting. So that's another mm. worrying side. And then, and then perhaps another aspect to sort of look out for, and perhaps one of my favorite is when the passion, that fire, right, that you have for doing what you do is starting to diminish. So that flame is getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So you start to feel a bit jaded. You start to feel a little bit, maybe even blasé or what happens in my world very often is cynicism. You just start yeah. to think, well, you become a bit cynical. I, I really describe this as this element of you're quite jaded about what you do. You still do what you do. And of course, you're still successful. But that drive on a Monday morning, you've got to dig really deep to find it. Mm. Yeah. It's, I find this is very relatable. And also to add one of the things, and I'm curious if you've encountered that as well, is the thing that I find the most sad is that when all we do is prioritize doing and performing, we become numb. We don't really feel much anymore. And I see this in men and women. And oftentimes in the corporate uh, world where it's, it's a lot of uh, rules and regulations, there's not so much of the individual that can free, uh, flow freely. Um, I find there's this sense of like, you know, What's the point? I'm just, I just, I, I will just keep going because that's all I know until something really tragic usually happens. And it's life giving them an opportunity through a lot of pain. And so, have you seen that as well? Absolutely. So, typically, when clients come to me, and I'll just caveat this with the fact that it has changed mm. a bit post pandemic. So, pre, let's, let's, let's have two words. Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, I would say that almost 90% of my clients came to me post-event. Post-event is reactionary coaching. So I just got diagnosed. My wife right. wants to have a divorce. Um, my relationship with my daughter is deteriorating. I can't function anymore at work. I need another job. Okay, so those big events, health, relationship, or work. So that's yep. sort of reactionary and I'm coming to you because I need to fix this, fix this <laughs> in quotes, right? Post COVID, I think one good thing that's happened through the pandemic is the awareness of health. Not saying that the pandemic was good, but perhaps a, a general uh, community shift around the fact that health is quite paramount. And mm. through this realization, I've noticed a lot more preventative coaching. So inquiry from top performers that would not come to me, if I may say, in a crisis, but would come to me with a level of, okay, this is not great. This is not ideal. <laughs> and I can see it may slide. How do, I, how do I prevent this? How do I make sure I don't get to the wall? How do you 
helped me through coaching not hit that wall because the wall is getting a little too close for me to be comfortable with it. And to me, that was really fascinating that the pandemic offered this shift. And why did it do that? Well, because people were spending more time at home. So they had more opportunities to see that some things were going wrong. You know, it's, it's quite funny, but one of my clients said, I didn't realize how bad my marriage was going until I started to spend time with my wife more often. And I realized we didn't really like each other anymore. I know this may sound quite intense, but the truth is, if you're in the office for 13 hours a day and you see your wife once a week around dinner, yeah, okay, you're probably likely to like them. But if you go from 13 hours apart every day to 24 hours together sharing the same flat, and it's the first time you're doing this ever because you're a high-powered couple that's always had sort of semi-separate lives through working, yeah, you're going to find out whether you really like them or not. Mm. very true i love that you say that a lot more people especially in in, in the corporate I, I find that usually these trends or these shifts when it comes to more wellness they take hold a bit later in the corporate realm because of the nature of how things are structured much more rule orientated you know in, in, in the entrepreneurial world which is more my world people can change like this overnight um, so it gives me a lot of hope that you're saying that. Now, another question that I have for you is this word that you probably have heard more than anybody else, balance. How do you, what are your thoughts around balance, right? For high performers. Huh? I have a bit of a love hate relationship to the word. I hmm. look, this idea of balancing work and life, it's all very nice in theory. But I don't know that I buy into that. I think it's more about integration. I think it's more about harmony. Like, there is no such thing as balance per se, because by definition, balance means a fair proportion of equal measures. Um, perhaps I'm thinking about it in kind of my justice lawyer's mind, but let's be honest here. Who is going to have like four hours of work and four hours of personal life? I, I think it's almost, it's almost setting you up to feel pretty bad about yourself because you're not achieving it. So with my type A perfectionist achiever, I don't talk about balance because if they don't get that, that's going to feel like a failure. And there is nothing more triggering to a type A individual than failure, right? So instead, I set them up for success. And success in my eyes as a high-performance coach is work-life integration. How do you navigate each while remaining focused present and well are you performing in life and are you performing at work are your relationship optimized at work and optimized in life you know uh, i always say this you know people say happy happy wife happy life i also like to think in our world happy clients happy life so if you can say happy wife happy clients yeah you probably have a happy wife right a, a happy life it's about you know, how, how do you actually continue to do the things that you love? Are you integrating your passion into your work? Are you showing your amazing self at work? If you're a fun person, are you fun at work? If you're an artistic, creative person, are you creative at work? To me, that's integration. That's integrating the essence of your core values into everything that you do. 
so the way I do that with my, my work, my team and my clients is I select and I curate my core values and I make sure that my daily actions and behavior at work and in life are aligned with my belief system. And that's not balance, that's integration, that's harmony. If I live by my core values at work and at life, then I don't have resentment or frustration because I believe in what I do, I love what I do, and I do what I love. Very powerful. And I'm you essentially dispel this myth that balance is this 50-50 thing. And I'm right there with you. I I do believe in balance, but I believe balance is not this equal thing. I think balance is a state of being. It's like being balanced. And being balanced looks different for every single person. In your case, you're saying, you know, once you align your personal values and you make sure that the personal values, the individualized ones for you, they run your life, they run your days, you do not have this feeling of I'm burning out. And with that, from what I'm understanding is you're saying burnout is not a thing that comes when you're doing too much, but rather when you're doing too little of the things that are in true alignment with who you are. hundred percent. And this may seem very controversial, Mario, but the truth is, well, it may be controversial and hard to believe, but I work more now as an entrepreneur, a business founder, a team leader, a coach, a keynote speaker, if I put my hourly and travel and all that I do, I I work now more than I did as a lawyer. And if you compare (laughs) the level of energy that I've got and happiness and passion and drive and genuinely waking up feeling like I'm serving my community, I'm, I'm living my dream and of course, there are hard days. I'm not painting a, a picture of every day's a walk in the park at work. Of course, it's hard. Of course, it's tough. But I don't feel burnout because I I stay authentic to the things that I love. You know, I it may be like a very, very insignificant example, but I love yoga. I became a yoga teacher and it's now an integrated part of my ritual. I've learned to love sleep. And I now schedule sleep, which to me is a very big win because before I didn't use to sleep adequately. So it's those things that may seem really uh, small, but same with art. You know, I, I love art. And despite how busy I am, I'm never too busy to make sure that I will foster my creative mind and spend time in a museum after a workshop or if I'm traveling to a keynote across the world. I will go and visit an exhibition or speak to local talents to fuel that creativity. I didn't used to do that before because I wasn't aware that those elements were actually traces of my success. You know, one of the reasons I was able to build the business that I built is because I am creative. And if I smash my creativity, I won't be able to serve my clients in the most authentic way, but I will also not be able to serve my team in the most authentic way. And I will also think that my partner would find me a lot less interesting as a partner if I was no longer as creative as I'd like to think that I am. Yeah, yeah. This is this is so good because you're describing the holistic view of what it means to be a human being. And what it means to be a human being is different for every single one of us. But since you and I, we talk 
to high performers predominantly, I think the point that you're making is something that I can underline with my own life is like, I do still work a lot of hours and I don't consider that as like a, a, a trade-off or a sacrifice or something that I have to do. It's like, it's a, cho it's a choice. I choose to do this. I, I thrive in this. And it's why even if I have three, four, five coaching sessions, intense coaching sessions, at the end of the day, I'm rarely like, oh, give me a break. Oh man, I just want to sleep. You know, it's just like, no, I'm like, whoa, I'm like, I'm high on energy because yeah. it's not so much the thing that I'm doing. It's not the what, but it's the how. It's how I'm showing up. It's how I'm showing up in the meeting. It's like, when you're going to a group of people and you're going in with a sense of dread, the sense of like, I don't want to be here. This is not fun. This is not energizing. This is not something that's enriching me. You're going to leave the room feeling depleted. And when you're going into an interaction with people where you feel like this is incredible, this is amazing. I'm learning, I'm growing. We're having this powerful experience here. Then you leave the room bigger than you came in. And That, I think, is really important to understand for high performers that are constantly being fed this narrative of you're doing too much, you're too, you have too much on your calendar. It's like, no, it's, it's just not the alignment that isn't there. I would love for you to also speak a little bit into mindset. What mm. role do you see in high performance and preventing burnout, what role does mindset play in your perspective? It's fundamental. It's fundamental, but yet it's really, really overrated. So typically uh -huh. when I have clients, uh, high performing clients, this notion on minds of mindset is somehow semi woo woo, a bit like high with the fairies who has time for mindset. I've got important things to do instead, right? Yeah. And look, Mario, truth be told, I get it because I felt the same. When I right. first hired my coach and she told me about how I needed to use techniques like mental reframing, I was like, what are you talking about, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, it was very much a foreign concept. And now not only do I make this a part of my everyday life, I embed it into everything that I do. So let's talk about our mindset. The, the, I think the most important thing to say is that we don't even realize we have it or don't have it until we build the awareness muscle. What does it mean? Of course, everybody has a mindset. That's a silly thing to say. But how often do we actually ignore how cynical, how pessimistic, how negative we're, we're becoming? And what I'm talking about here are the voices in our head. And I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I am talking about that voice in your head in the morning that you've gotten accustomed to. So you know the one where you're having your coffee, you haven't even logged in yet, and it's going, oh, this is going to be a really rough day today. Oh, God, and that meeting and that person and all the things that I've got to do. And it's really nagging you and it's going in loops about how you can't do it. And I, even that voice that goes, oh, I can't deal with this. I can't take it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we don't even hear the voice because we think the voice is 
the playing field. That's normal. That's normality. So when I investigate the voices in my client head, at first they're like, well, I don't have voices in my head. I just have that one. You know, I am who I am. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's, let's, let's actually investigate that a little bit. Tell me when you wake up before you log in, what do you tell yourself? And then usually there is a pause, right? And then, and then everything comes out. Well, I, I think that uh, I can't cope, that it's just getting too much. This, the too much, right? That voice, that it's all too much. I'm overwhelmed. And so then we start to write down all those voices. Oh, they're, they're, they're intense and they're quite negative in nature. So once you've gone through step one, investigate your mindset because that's your fuel. That's your operator, right? Then you can go into step two, which is optimize it. So we're not going to go from, oh, this is a bad day to, yay, I'm so happy, (laughs) right? We're going to make small adjustments, but we're going to actually flex the awareness muscle so that we go from, ah, this thought, hey, I got you. I hear you. I see you. I recognize you. Not very useful for me today. So thank you. But actually, I'm not going to entertain you. So I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to choose a thought that is going to be much more helpful for me today. For example, I've done this before, I can do it again. Oh, now now we're getting somewhere, right? And I'm going to actually fuel my thought, my operating system with thoughts that have been carefully chosen to serve my purpose. That's mindset optimization. I think what you said about everybody has a mindset, it's just that most are not aware of it, is such a good point. Because just like you say, mindset is often viewed as this fluff thing, as this, yeah, you know, maybe if I have time on the weekend, I'll read a book, a personal development book, or I'll listen to a podcast, but, you know, why should I care? And you make the case that whether you tell yourself that you have or don't have a mindset is irrelevant. You do have a mindset and your mindset is the model of the world. And so it essentially decides two things, what's possible and what isn't for you, not in general in life, but for you personally. And most people, high performers, generally I find they have a high level of self-belief in terms of what they can achieve in terms of how far they can go but what they often don't recognize is the way they're going towards that goal so they tell themselves you know yeah i can probably you know get that you know sell that deal or make that deal or sell that product um, but it's going to be really really stressful and to that i say that's not a fact That's your mindset. That's the way you believe it to be true. It doesn't have to be really, really stressful. You're choosing that. On an unconscious level, you are choosing stress to be there because that's your familiar environment. You know how to operate inside of stress and chaos. And, you know, when you hear, and my, my take is that inner peace is actually one of the greatest, greatest influencers in high performance is because the way that allows you to make decisions from a calm, clear, and collected space, 
people don't even believe that that's true. That's possible. They're like, no, 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 stress is the only way. So I think what you're talking about mindset is, is really, really key because it helps you redefine what's possible and it helps you to create the kind of life that you really, really want to have, not once you hit the goal, but right now. Absolutely. Yeah. The goal in the making. <laughs> exactly. So I want to know if somebody comes to you and they have this firm, fixed mindset and, you know, they find out about your work, they read some testimonials, they check out your website, they hear your talk and they're like, it's all great. But how do you go so, uh, help somebody go from fixed to open and growth orientated mindset? It's not an overnight achievement. I love to say that I just, you know, wave my magic wand and boom. <laughs> but it's not. And actually, I, I think it's important to say it is not overnight. The reason I think this is important to digest is because high achievers, type A, myself included, yours I'm guessing as well, we, we kind of like to have results fast. And mm -hmm. we can get impatient quickly. And forgive yeah. me if I've included you in a bucket. That <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I get it. Um... Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair. So the first thing that I have to work on with my high-achieving client is, is patience. Patience in mm. the fact that there has to be an element of admission that this is going to take work. And the way that I get there is through using imagery of things that grow outside of our mindset that we can compare to. So I find metaphors very useful. So typically I use, you know, the, the body of a bodybuilder or the body of someone very, very fit, right? You're not going to go from being slightly overweight to being extremely fit and shredded overnight. You're going to go and you're going to work on the biceps and then you're going to work on your legs and then you're going to do some abs and then you're going to repeat and then you're going to recover. You're going to have rest day. Then you're going to work on cardio. Then you're going to have a strength program. Then you're going to have flexibility program. Then you're going to do stability. Then you repeat, you rest, you recover. Okay. Then over time, muscle groups in different categories grow stronger, more agile, more flexible more stable. It's the same with your mindset and with your habits. You're not going to go into an overnight shift. You're going to have to flex that muscle over time and giving it rest. So you can't go from zero to 100. A lot of the high achiever, when they start with their volume program, they get really excited. So at first they resist and reject. Then they get excited overboard. Okay, so I'll do it all. Oh, you've asked me to work out three hours a week. No, 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 no. I'm going to do it three hours a day. I'm going to wake up at 4.30 a.m. And I'm going to make sure that I'm like, okay, I, I, I see what you're doing here. I've done that to you. You're trying to, you know, go from zero to 100. And let me tell you what's going to happen because I know the end of the story. You're going to work out three hours a day, which is not what I recommended you did and find yourself even more overwhelmed, more exhausted. And you're going to tell me this is not sustainable and something else is going to slide. And then you're going to go back to effort. I'm not doing anything anymore because this was all too much. So no, 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 hold back. And we're going to agree on 10 minutes 
today. Or we're going to agree on three minutes tomorrow. And we're going to take very small incremental changes. We're going to hold you back from going full in. And we're going to make a drip dose effect. Drip, drip, drip. And we're going to sustain. And then we're going to build on that. So we're going to create a very solid foundation with micro shifts. And we're going to overlay and overlay and overlay. But we are only going to overlay once that shift has become so second nature that you do it on autopilot. Once that's done, we're going to go to the next level. And next level, that's sustainable progress. I love the sports analogy, and I think it's the it's the one that's the most effective in grasping the practice of changing your mindset. What are some of those daily drip, drip, drip activities that you provide to your clients that you would also recommend to my audience that can help you develop a more growth-orientated mindset? Mm -hmm. Well, number one is uh, fundamental, is movement. It may sound very simple, but I think that's really a foundation because we spend so much time in our heads. We can actually not exert our body enough. And as an ex-insomniac, that's something that I learned the hard way. I was spending all my hours comfortable at my desk. So by the time I hit the pillow, although I was intellectually exhausted, I was not physically exerted. So I couldn't fall asleep. I felt restless. So get your movement in order. And the whole, I don't have time. You, you have time. You're just choosing not to allocate it. So the way I do it, I'm very busy as well, but uh, I do walk and talk meeting. So if I have meeting with my team, I'll say, hey, today we don't need to put videos on. We're just going to go and we're all going to walk on that meeting because I know that they're going to think sharper. I'm going to think sharper. And any meeting that I can do standing or walking, I do. So it has to be really specific kind of meeting for me to put mm. my video on so that I'm not active. Uh, another example is, you know, short bursts of movement. You want to get your best return on time investment. So if I don't have time for a long, big walk, I'm going to have to curate a short, high-intensity run or another type of exercise that's going to give me those movement in the least amount of time. So you can curate that. And I would recommend work with a fitness coach so that they can really curate a program that aligns with your schedule. The second thing is sleep. I know it's, again, something that we think is nice to have, but no, no, it's fundamental. So schedule your sleep. Again, this may sound really um, odd, but I put my sleep in my schedule because I know that my default mode of operation is eat in my sleep to produce more work. That's what I did for over a decade and that generated poor results. So I schedule my, my sleep. I time bound the hours that I need to sleep, especially if you work in multiple time zones and you lead a team internationally. If you don't, then you run a risk that people might book you at times where you do need to sleep because people don't know which time zone I'm in. Only I know that. So I need to schedule my sleep. Right. And I would suggest that high performers listening to your podcast also do the same. Number three is don't underestimate the power of nutrition. I mean, you're literally fueling your body and your brain with nutrition. Um, and again, here at the risk of, you know, sounding too dogmatic, but 
I personally don't buy into low fat diets, so I don't want to shock anyone, but that's my personal belief. Our brain needs quite a lot of good fat. So I eat a rather um, fat rich diet, not any kind of fat. I completely suppressed uh, oils and anything that is industrial or processed, but I have quite high fat dishes. I have high fat meat, grass fed meat. Um, I have eggs and I have also high fat vegetables or fruits such as avocado or coconut oils. And that's a very important part of my brain preservation toolkit. Uh, I didn't used to do that for years. I was actually following a very low fat diet because, you know, you, you're a woman and you want to be following the trends and you think fat is bad. I would really strongly urge people to rethink that paradigm because in my opinion, it's the wrong way to go about it. If you're a high performer, you need your brain and for your brain to operate at high, high levels, scientists agree to say that you need a consumption of very high quality fats. So I think that's important to talk about. And then the, the we could go on for, for, for much more, but perhaps I would say one more thing is, you know, breath work. I really practice breath work and meditation to ground me quite a lot um and you can do it very quickly you can do it in one minute you can do it in 10 minutes at night if you're struggling to fall asleep again um to battle insomnia i found that hypnosis has been very useful for me and that's how i became a hypnotherapist as well because it's really helpful i found that it's a tool that helped me and it's a tool that helped my clients um so i would suggest hypnosis as well to be very useful for high performers You just touched base on something that I still want to ask you as well. And we could probably have another whole podcast about this topic. What do you see as a difference between high-performing men and high-performing women? Because obviously men and women are different, right? Our biologies are very different. We have very different needs. Um, women have their their cycle, which is, uh, affects them in a big way. I just, uh, one of my clients, she's a, She's a um, she's a fitness coach and a nutritionist, and she just gave a speech on, on TEDx, and I coached her for the speech. And her topic was about the effect of the menstrual cycle that women have, and how many women have been neglecting that because of this very masculine-dominated narrative. Just push through, just you know, um, whatever. Don't listen to your body. So I'm I'm curious. Do you see a difference in that? Do you make a distinction? Do you do you how do you how do you live with that difference? Well, the first thing is you mentioned cycles, which I think is a very important topic to talk about. But it's also important to touch on the absence of cycle, meaning when high performing women enter menopause or going into menopause mm. stages of their life. And that can really have a huge impact on the brain. Actually, there's been neuroscientific evidence of the shift in neurochemistry. So I coach a lot of high-performing women that are navigating that transition hormonally to help them with holistic solutions, but also sometimes to even consider replacement therapy. You know, HRT works really well. Uh, again, that's a very personal decision and uh, the person in question needs to have medical supervision and that's a decision to be, be made with the doctor. But I think it's important to talk about that and to talk about the fact that that's not just a women focus. I work with a lot of mm. high-performing men that have a surge of cortisol 
And when we do blood works and blood panels, which I really like to see, I see very low testosterone. And so then it begs the question, you know, can this be adjusted with a reduction of cortisol, meaning less stress and anxiety, where we can work holistically on strategies to alleviate that? Or sometimes, actually, with some of my clients, we do go down the route of hormone replacement therapy, because particularly if you're arriving at, you know, the mid-40s or the 50s for men, having lower testosterone can really have an impact on drive, motivation, and Mm. overall sense of well-being. So I would say, do your blood. Do you do you checks not just annually, more than that. Do more than what your regular doctor tells you to do. Work with high performance coaches that do know how to read blood panels and do understand the roles that hormones play in our lives. Do also use technology. You know, I really am a firm believer in sleeping with an hour ring or wearing Fitbit or Whoop not promoting any particular devices, but I'm just saying it doesn't, I'm I'm brand agnostic. Point being, use some kind of measurable data in addition to doing regular blood work to actually not make a guessing game, like make empowered educating decision. You know, don't just guess that you're not doing great. Get your blood checked. Don't just guess that your sleep is not adequate. Track your REM. (laughs) Then we can have a conversation that's going to be a lot more powerful. And I think that goes for men and for women. Just get to know yourself and Mm. your data. Yeah. Do you find that there's a difference, though, being as a woman in terms of high performance? Because personally, I can just speak for men. And I've worked um, over the decade that I've been doing this with quite a lot of women. And I'm curious because you have this very specific focus on, you know, you're in in law and law, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I understand law is it's a much more male dominated industry. And so it's also naturally a much more head driven industry where it's all about, you know, logical thinking, rational thinking. And the way that I've come to understand is that the feminine power is not so much in the logical. That doesn't mean that women cannot be logical, but it's that I find what I've seen is that their power, their natural given strength is more in their body's intuitive power to understand things that are really difficult for men to understand naturally. We have to really work hard at it, whereas women are much more in tune. They're much more connected to, to that. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that as well. Yes, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, what I would say is, again, at the risk of being controversial, I actually think that in those professions, men are more likely to suffer in silence. And what I mean by that is women burn out, of course. And I don't think there is anything that can be said about women burn out more than men, men burn out more than women. I think it's not sex dependent or gender dependent. It's management dependent is how you manage your daily habits behavior and mindset that's it it's not about your gender it's about how you manage your performance and how you manage your recovery but what i would say is that women are much more likely to get supported we talk more just look at you know your wife or or audience listening if even if i've never met this woman i could make an educated bet that more often than not they speak to their girlfriends or friends more often than the average man does that's just natural biology that's just natural evolution women are 
very tribal and they speak more and they express their feelings more to their peers. So women are actually much more likely to go and get coaching, get support, because they struggle less with the idea that they need support. The reason I specialize in male psychology and that predominantly my clients are male is because, in my opinion, they're the population that actually are a lot, lot less likely to admit to friends, to peers, to colleagues, or to spouse that they're struggling. And that's also why men are much more likely to commit suicide. We need to talk about that, right? So I do have in my practice a lot of uh, men that come to see me because they are navigating very, 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 very dark thoughts that their spouses don't know about, that their colleagues don't know about, and that their friends definitely don't know about. And the reason they're talking to me, we have an NDA. So it, it really, you know, to them, to men, that's very comforting that there is, you know, complete secrecy, legal secrecy. So nothing will be revealed. It stays very secret and stays confidential. And plus, I'm still technically a lawyer, even if I'm non-practicing. So I think they find a lot of comfort in knowing that I handle confidentiality very, very well. And I create a safe space for very high-powered men to actually disclose their struggle so that we can release and alleviate that pain so that they can perform at their best. That's my take on it. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. And I myself have been there in these dark places with these dark thoughts. And I through the grace of people that have shared their own testimony, namely Tony Robbins and Les Brown of how they struggled and how they made it public. I was able to then open up myself, but I'm wondering if somebody's listening right now and they're dealing with these dark thoughts and they're thinking about, you know, the unthinkable, what would you say? Is it, what would, what would your message be to them? To get support, that's really the number one thing to, to do. And if you're not comfortable talking to friends to get that security through talking to a professional, I think it's fundamentally important. Why, why do we confide to our lawyers, to our advisors? It's because that aspect of professionalism actually adds a layer of security. Because let's be honest, like some of the men that I work with, and women, in, this is the same, but some of the high performers I work with have public profiles. They're very, you know, they've, they're notorious in their community or their industry. They have public companies. And they have extremely important roles and responsibility. You don't want to expose the fact that that particular individual is struggling, right? Because in their mind, that right. may be damaging for PR, for business. And I'm not saying whether that's true or not. We know a lot of extremely yeah. successful men and women that have openly disclosed the fact that they were mentally struggling and that hasn't damaged their business or their PR. But again, more likely than not, that's a genuine fear. So I would say address that fear by getting supported by someone who's going to give you the comfort of a legally bound confidentiality agreement so that you can really work through those dark thoughts and dark feeling in a place that is 100% safe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful maybe answer. That's, uh, maybe that's where you can tell that I'm a coach, but also a lawyer. <laughs> My brain is still wired that way. <laughs> yeah, your confidentiality agreement in place, and then you can discuss um, <laughs> everything. <laughs> I think it's important. I think it's very important because, yes, the the true healing I have seen happens when we open ourselves up when we speak the truth when we share the truth and we allow ourselves to be witnessed in a vulnerable state by people who do not judge us by people who love us in a care in and in create this caring environment because then the mind can create this idea of I just opened up about the thing that I was most afraid about my whole life and I wasn't judged and I wasn't punished for it actually i'm encouraged and i find that creates this new identity of all of me is welcome and it's those safe spaces that i see are really really needed in the business environment because it allows us to be human and it removes this this idea that there are certain parts of ourselves that don't belong here that are not there because, you know, all of these things that we in the business world push aside, we often tell ourselves that has no effect. But if we push aside a part of ourselves, we alienate a part of ourselves. And that part will always create a sense of resistance. And so we carry it around us with us all day long. And that affects the bottom line of business that affects performance that affects how we work together as a team and as we come to the end of this interview i have one more question for you that i'm really curious to see how you're going to answer it and that is if you could spend an hour of your time with any person dead or alive who would it be and why mm. uh steve jobs definitely yes ah. Yeah, definitely. I would want to. I would want to talk, but I would want to walk, as uh, you know from his biography, very famously known for doing his walk and talk meetings. I would want to go on a walk with him to a forest and really get to see how his brain works. I would want to meditate with him. I would want to mm. just ask those questions about what really fuel and ignited that creativity, and I would want to know. I get a feel, I get a sense for the way he thinks and the way he sees the world. And perhaps, perhaps, if I could, if anything is possible, I would want to ask him if he would do me the honor of allowing me to have a coaching session together. That would be fascinating to mm -hmm. play some tools and, you know, to be inside the mind, may I say, of someone that is so incredibly creative would be quite extraordinary mm, that's a beautiful answer Charlene thank you so much for being a truly amazing guest you've dropped a lot of wisdom practical tools and insights what's the best way that people can connect with you thank you for asking Mario uh, LinkedIn is quite a good way that's where I spend most of my time and my team and uh, my new podcast as well the challenge is show as well as my website you're very welcome to drop me a line and of course if your listener uh, send me an email with the subject title mario having listened to your amazing podcast then i have a little gift for them. 
Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Very exciting. So <laughs> I'm going to be sure to add all of that in the show notes, <laughs> along with a reminder to send people that email so they, they can get that gift. I'm sure it's going to be a very powerful gift uh, coming from you. Charlene, thank you so much for dedicating your time and energy here today. And um, I'm going to give you the last word of the conversation. Perform, recover, perform, recover, repeat. All right. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And thank you, my dear listener, for making this all possible. I will see you on the next episode of the Zenpreneur podcast.